The sermon text for today is Isaiah chapter 40, verses 25 through 31. <clears throat> you can find this passage in the Blue Pew Bible on page 1081. Listen as I read God's word. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens, who created all these. He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Here ends the reading. Good morning, everyone. Great to be with you here today. My name is John. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, I get to serve as the lead pastor here at Elmwood. And what I'm going to ask you to do is stand with me. We have been in a message series looking at Psalm 1, and we have been uh, setting out to memorize Psalm 1 together as a church family. Uh, you know, we can't force you to do that, but one of the things we can do is ask you to repeat it over and over and over and over again every Sunday during this series. So that's what we're going to do. Um, I've noticed that there are more and more of you who I see uh, closing your eyes during the reading. And I love that because it means that you're actually uh, saying this from memory and not just reading the words off the screen. Uh, so I'm thankful that we get the opportunity to do this, and I want to invite you as we begin our time to uh, say these words from Psalm 1 together as a church family. So, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Would you remain standing as we pray? 
God, we're so thankful that your word, your instruction tells us how to experience a life of flourishing and blessing and prosperity. Lord, we're thankful for this image here of the tree planted by streams of water whose leaf does not wither. Lord, we ask this morning that you, as we look at Isaiah 40 and as we make connections to Psalm 1 and connections to Jesus, that you would help us, Lord, to be and to become resilient people. Lord, would you take your word and would you drive it deep down into the core of our being? Would you, Holy Spirit, uh, come now in this moment and meet us here? Illumine what is in this passage for our eyes to see it. Help us to see clearly what is there. Help us to see Jesus. And we pray that you would uh, do this so that we would leave here changed people. We ask all this in the name of your Son and all God's people said. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we've all got stories about things that we started and then quit. Uh, some of you here might be New Year's resolution type people, and uh, maybe you've experienced this, that you make some sort of New Year's resolution that you're going to do this thing, and then it doesn't take long until you sort of fall off the wagon. Maybe you're one of those people who vows every year, I'm going to go to the gym, I'm going to be healthy, and then come about March, you start to feel those little micro bursts of shame every time you pick up your keys because there's a little tag on there that you used to sign into the gym. And it reminds you, oh, I haven't been there for like three months now. And my best intentions of being a healthy person and exercising uh, sort of just fell flat. Okay? Uh, so we've all got examples of this kind of thing in our life. Uh, maybe it's a habit that you have tried to create. Maybe you want to go to bed earlier at night. Maybe you want to get up earlier in the morning. Maybe you want to cultivate a habit or a practice on a regular basis of spending time in the Bible, spending time in the Scripture. Uh, maybe you uh, have something that you're trying to quit. Maybe there's a bad habit that you have that you are trying really hard to quit, an addiction, as it were, that you're trying to break, and you find that you make little progress for little weeks here and there, and then you sort of slide back into those same old patterns again. Maybe uh, you um, are trying to do something that is just really, really hard, something that you took on that you didn't think was going to be as hard as it is, and you find yourself wanting to give up and wanting to quit. We've all got examples of, of times when we have started something and then ended up finding ourselves quitting, not persevering, not staying resilient in the face of it. We've also, uh, many of us, if not all of us, have stories of ways that we have uh, also stayed resilient. We have persevered in the face of great difficulty. That maybe uh, for you would be something like a, a season of life where there's a continual having to persevere that you have. Maybe it's sort of a one-time thing. Um, this last summer, many of you know that uh, my family went on a little mini sabbatical, and we went out to Montana, and one of the things I did was I climbed a mountain, which was uh, great and miserable all at the same time. Uh, it was 4,000 feet of elevation gain in the course of just over four and a half miles. Uh, 4,000 feet of elevation gain is uh, the Sears Tower in Chicago, or the Willis Tower as it is now, four times over. And when I hit mile three, I literally almost turned back. Because uh, if you didn't notice, I live in Minnesota, and there's no way to train for climbing mountains when you're in Minnesota, because we don't have mountains here. 
So uh, my body was not as prepared for this as I would have liked it to be. And so I got to mile three, and I had climbed 3,000 feet of elevation, and I just said, I don't know if I can do it. Uh, but I persevered. Uh, actually, I was stubborn is really more of what it was. <laughs> I didn't want to come back to the house and, and have everyone say, well, boy, you're back early, and then have to explain how I quit in the face of difficulty. Uh, but that was an example of something I did where I, I persevered. Uh, it, was, it was hard, but I persevered. And so you've probably all got stories of something similar as well. Uh, the point is that we all desire to have resilient lives. We, none of us wants to be the kind of person who walks around life feeling defeated. No one wants to be the kind of person who walks around and gives up in the face of difficulty. None of us want to be the kind of people who find out that we just don't have what it takes and we can't carry on any further and we live in that realm of defeat. None of us want to feel pushed around by our circumstances and to feel like life is in our calendars and all the things that are happening to us are just sort of pushing us around and we're powerless to do anything about it. Every single one of us wants to live a life of resiliency and the good news that Psalm 1 tells us is that life of resiliency is available to us. We've been looking at Psalm 1, seeing this uh, sort of this picture of the prosperous life. Uh, And Psalm 1 tells us that the prosperous person, the flourishing person, the blessed person, is the one who meditates on the instruction of the Lord day and night and who delights in God's instruction. And as a result, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water uh, who bears fruit in season. And here today, we're going to look at how they are resilient. Their leaf does not wither. So the question is, how do we live a resilient life? And to answer that question, we're going to, as we have been throughout the series, go to another passage of Scripture that helps sort of give uh, some fresh meaning uh, and sort of fills in uh, what this picture of a, of a resilient life is that we see here in Psalm 1. So we're going to look at Isaiah 40, and we're going to see that Isaiah 40 shows us the pathway towards a life of resiliency. And so the first step of living a resilient life, we're told in Isaiah chapter 40, is this. Number one, we remember the faithfulness of God to his covenant promises. That's where a life of resiliency begins, is we remember the faithfulness of God to his covenant promises. Now, we see this in Isaiah 40 by uh, first zooming out to just look at the big picture of the book of Isaiah and to see where Isaiah 40 fits into it. Isaiah is a very big book. It's made up of 66 chapters. And uh, the first section of the book is Isaiah 1 through 39. And the second section is Isaiah 40 through 66. And in the first section of the book, we see that it's this constant sort of refrain of God's coming judgment on his people and God's coming judgment on the nations because they have not lived according to God's instruction. So the people of Israel in particular have abandoned Yahweh, their God. They have abandoned relationship with him. They have been given over to, their lives are filled with sin and idolatry. And the leaders of the nation are leading the people that way. Uh, The leaders of the nation are leading the people in corruption. They're leading them in injustice and oppressing the poor and all kinds of these things. And as a result of that, God says, I'm going to bring my judgment. I'm going to bring my justice to bear on you because of your sin. And so we see this picture in chapters 1 through 39 of this sort of coming wave of God's judgment that's going to come on to his people because of their sin. But then in the second half of Isaiah, chapter 40 through 66, we see that there's a complete 
shift in the tone of the book, where it moves from judgment to a tone of hope and renewal. And Isaiah 40 is sort of the the turning point in the book. It's the hinge point where everything changes. And so we see at the beginning uh, of this chapter this message of hope. And as we read the rest of the book of Isaiah, what we see is that God's desire is to bring his people back to the land and is going to restore them and purify them. Because As a result of their rebellion against God, he has expelled them from his land. He has uh, led them into exile. So in the same exact way that Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden because of their rebellion against God, the nation as a whole is expelled from the land of Eden-like blessing, this land flowing with milk and honey. They are expelled from the land of Eden-like blessing because they have uh, failed to live in obedience to God's design. They have, have broken the covenant relationship with him. And so God promises not only that his judgment is going to come, but also that he's going to bring hope and renewal. And he's going to bring the people back into the land, and he's going to establish them there. He's going to purify them. He's going to wash away all of their sin and all of their idolatry, and they're going to live in a new Jerusalem. And we see, as the book of Isaiah continues, that this is not just a picture of an ordinary sort of situation. This is not just a picture of them being restored to what was once before. This is actually God describing, giving us this sort of shadow, this picture of a renewed cosmos where the kingdom of God will come on earth as it is in heaven, where the entire creation is going to be renewed and sin is going to be expelled once and for all. And so this is the message of hope that exists in the book of Isaiah. And we see that God is faithful to his people even in the midst of their unfaithfulness. They have rebelled against him and God promises he is going to bring hope and renewal and cleanse and purify his people and establish them once again. And this is all because of God's faithfulness to his covenant promises. But in addition to this, we can also sort of zoom in at the specific language that we see in Isaiah chapter 40. And as we do that, We see language like this in Isaiah 40, verse 1. It says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. So this language of they are my people, he is their God. This is intimate relationship language that's being used here. We see this also as we look at verses 10 and 11, where the text says, see, the sovereign Lord comes with power, he rules with a mighty arm, see, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. So you see the tender picture being presented here of God as this compassionate God who is a shepherd for his people, who will draw them near, who will uh, carry them close to his heart. This is all language that's reminding us of the intimate covenant relationship that God has established with his people. And in addition to this, all throughout chapter 40, uh, we see God referring to himself using his divine covenant name, uh, which is Yahweh. So, for example, in verse 28, do you not know, have you not heard, Yahweh is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Verse 31, but those who hope in Yahweh will renew their strength. If you see the word Lord in all caps in your English translation, 
what that tells you is that that is a translation of the Hebrew word, uh, which is the divine covenant name Yahweh, instead of just the generic word for God, okay? So when you see the all caps Lord, this is uh, specifically referring to the divine covenant name of God. And so we see both in the big picture of Isaiah, as well as looking at the specific language in this passage, that God is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping promise-making, promise-keeping God, and he is going to keep the promises he has made to his people even in spite of the unfaithfulness of his people. And so that's the first thing we see here is the faithfulness of God to his covenant promises. And so for us to live a life of resiliency, we have to remember the faithfulness of God to his covenant promises. But not only this, we have to recognize the profound depth of our weakness, we have to recognize the profound depth of our weakness. Uh, our daily experiences, our daily lives make our weakness uh, f- a fairly obvious thing. Uh, anyone who has ever received an unexpected diagnosis of any kind, you understand the weakness and the, and the frailty of your body. Anyone who's ever lost someone unexpectedly, anyone who has ever uh, been in an accident where your body is uh, hurt or maimed or something like this, anyone who has ever uh, dealt with the accumulating effects of old age, you understand the weakness and the frailty of your very body. Anyone who's ever dealt with chronic and ongoing health issues, you understand the weakness that exists inside of your physical body. And not only this, but anyone who's ever Uh, looked at themselves and saw things that they wish were different and felt powerless to change those things. You understand the weakness that is inside of you. Anyone who has ever um, tried to break free from an addiction, anyone who has ever uh, found themselves comparing themselves to other people and coming up short, coming up wanting, coming up small compared to other people, you understand the weakness that is inside of yourself and in your own very body. We understand the weakness. But listen to how Isaiah says it. He says in verse six, all people are like grass and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. So this tiny, insignificant, here today, gone tomorrow, little plant. This is what humans are. We are like grass. We are weak. Not only this, he goes on to say in verse 30, even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. Those who are supposed to be the strongest of the strong, even they are weak. And it's not just that our own personal experience makes this true. We see this in a fresh light when we come to see ourselves in comparison with who God is. So notice the picture that set out the contrast between the frailty of humanity and who God is in this passage. So look in verse, starting in verse 12. Who has measured the water in the hollow of his hand? or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens. 
Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills on a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor is its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. So get the picture here. The nations are like a drop in the bucket. Just notice the intensification, the smallness. They're like a drop in the bucket. They are like dust on the scales. They are like fine dust. They are like nothing. They are like less than nothing. <laughs> okay, you, you see the point here is you've got this picture of God who is the creator and the sustainer of all things who holds you know, metaphorically, sort of trying to come up with words to describe the bigness of God, all of the waters and all of the oceans are like a drop in his palm. He spread out everything in the known universe, and it's not even wider than his hand is stretched out. And then there's us. We are like grass. We are like nothing. We are less than nothing compared to him. And he goes on to say in verse 27, 25 rather, to whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. The universe is created and sustained by God himself, who is great and mighty and powerful, and we are like dust on the scales, less than nothing. So we see a clear picture of our weakness in this passage. And even though it may not seem like it at first, this is actually good news for us. And it's only good news when we see this in light of what we have already seen this morning, and that is that God is faithful to his covenant promises. God is faithful to hold true to every single promise he's made, he is strong. And the good news that this passage tells us is that he delights to share his strength with those who are weak. That's why this is good news. God is strong and he delights to share his strength with those who are weak. So to live a resilient life, we remember the faithfulness of God to his covenant promises. We recognize the profound depth of our weakness And third, we exchange our strength for his. Listen to verse 27. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. 
but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. The word that's translated renew here is a word that uh, literally means to exchange. This is used in other uh, scenarios in the Old Testament to refer to a person uh, changing their clothes or exchanging one garment for another. So I think that that the idea here, that the sense of this, Isaiah here is not saying, you know, when you come to hope in the Lord, what's going to happen is you are going to increase your human strength to its full capacity. I don't think he's saying you're just going to get a little bit more of what you already have. I think what he's saying is when you come to Yahweh, your God, when you trust in him, when you hope in him, you will get a kind of strength that you do not currently possess. You will exchange your weak, piddly, pathetic little human strength. You will give that to God and he will give you his strength. And he tells us how we do that. But those who hope in the Lord, that's how we get his strength. That's a word that, uh, that, that in other cases is translated uh, is to wait. You may have an English translation that uh, translates this, but those who wait on the Lord. Uh, it's the same word in uh, Psalm 40, verse 1, that said, I waited patiently on the Lord, and he heard my cry. That's the same word that's being used here. And so the idea is y- you want the strength of God, you want to exchange your strength for his, well, the way you do it is that you wait on him. You hope in him. You come to him and you recognize your weakness before him. And you recognize his character, that he loves you, that he's for you, that he is faithful to his covenant promises, that he is strong, and that he delights to share his strength with those who are weak. So we hope in him. And this is a word that is not a one-time action. This is a word uh, that, that has an ongoing action to it. Okay, so it's not, oh yeah, I hoped in God once, I waited on God once. I made that decision when I was at camp or when I was in that you know, special service or whatever. I raised my hand, I came forward, whatever that is. It's not a one-time thing. Those who, in an ongoing way, continually, with the posture of their life, hope in the Lord. They wait on him. They recognize their own frailty, their own weakness, and they recognize the strength of God that he delights to give us his strength. Those are the ones whose strength is renewed inside of them, and they actually get a strength that's better than the one that they had to begin with. Now, waiting on him does not mean inactivity. Waiting on God does not mean we live lives of inactivity where we just say, I'm just going to sit here and wait for God to do something. No, the life of waiting on him, this life of hoping in him and trusting in him, is a life of confident hope and confident expectation in knowing who God is. That's what this life is. As we come to uh, the New Testament, what becomes really clear to us is that God's power at work among us does not make us a whole bunch of externally really strong, really powerful people. Okay, God's power that is at work inside of us does not mean that we are the most outgoing, the, my, the most type A, the most physically gifted, we're never sick, we're never tired, we're always strong all the time. 
That's not at all the picture that we get in the New Testament. And I'll just prove this to you by reading a little bit from the book of 2 Corinthians. Listen to how the Apostle Paul talks. He's talking about the treasure of the gospel, the beautiful gift that God has given his people of the the saving knowledge of Jesus, his life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension and his reign over all things, even right now. He's talking about that beautiful gift and that treasure, and he says this in 2 Corinthians 4. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. We are the jars of clay. Jars of clay are not particularly known for being strong. They're known for being weak and fragile, and you have to plaster them over and fill cracks because they crack easily. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus. Does that sound strong to you? We always carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our bodies. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So that his life may also be revealed in our mortal bodies. Then he says in verse 16, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Not exactly language that portrays strength. In our physical bodies, we are outwardly wasting away. Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Then at the end of the book, in chapter 12, he says this. In verse 7, he says, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in what? Weakness. Therefore, I will boast, I will brag, I will be glad about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So everything that Paul is laying out here for us is telling us, oh, as a follower of Jesus, if you are indwelt by the Spirit of God, His power is at work in you. And it's not at work in you primarily to make you outwardly strong, outwardly competent, outwardly, you know, big people. God's power is at work inside of you through the power of the Spirit to transform you, to remake you into the image of Christ. That's what your heart most desperately needs. God's power is displayed not just in spite of all of our weaknesses. God's power is displayed through and because of the weaknesses that we have. 
It's not like our weaknesses are some obstacle that God has to try and figure out, how do, how do I get around this? I didn't expect him to be so weak. So, you know, I got to, you know, give him all this power so I can get around his weakness. No, what Paul is saying is that our, our weakness is not an obstacle to God. Our weakness is the very vehicle. Our weakness is the very means by which God displays whose power? His power. His power that is at work in us. So what Paul is saying is we don't need to be people who have the external appearance of strength. What we most desperately need is for God's spirit to be at work inside of us to transform us and to remake us into the image of Christ. Because we, having rebelled against God, the image of God in us has been distorted and been twisted. And yet what the Bible tells us is that by sending us his spirit to be in us, what God is doing is he is continually tilling the soil and working in us so that we are remade into the image of Christ. And that is the very thing that we were designed for in the first place. And so instead of giving us this picture of, uh, you know, when you have the power of God at work in your life, you're going to have this, you know, externally successful and externally very strong life. That's not the picture we get. The picture we get in the New Testament is you will be strong and what it will look like is a continual being handed over to death. You will always carry with you the very death of Jesus in your body so that the strength of Christ and so the power of God can be displayed in and through not only your strength but through your weakness. And so this is this life of uh, exchanging our strength for his. It doesn't, it doesn't look the way that maybe we would want it to look. <laughs> you know, we would want to say that when we have the power of God in our lives, it's gonna, you know, we're going to be conquerors. And in some way we are. And yet in a right here, right now, more real sense, we are always living with the death of Jesus in our bodies. And that's what it looks like to be strong people. That's what it looks like to have the strength of God at work inside of us is that we are always carrying around in us the death of Jesus. And that's what makes us strong. So we exchange our piddly little power for a better power, one that's at work within us to transform us into the image of Christ, to make us into the kind of people that we were designed to be in the first place. And that's the power of God at work among us. So in the last few minutes here, I wanted to ask this question. How do we... How do we cultivate a life of resiliency? How do we cultivate a resilient life? The first way I want to suggest that we do that is this. We set our affections on Jesus who made himself weak. We can become so used to hearing the message of the gospel. We can become so accustomed to hearing because we talk about this every week, right? We talk every single week about the suffering and the death of Jesus. And we can become so accustomed to it that it completely loses all of what makes it shocking. This is God's plan for our salvation and for our deliverance. God's plan to fix the world that has been broken by our sin, God's plan is that he would become weak. 
he would become powerless. God's plan for how he would solve all of the problems in our world and work out our deliverance is that Jesus would take on human flesh and accompany us in our humanity. And the pinnacle, the climax of his life and ministry is when he was most weak and most vulnerable and when he suffered and died on our behalf. That's the plan of God. And what we have to recognize is that his power is most clearly visible in the weakness and in the suffering of Jesus. The power of God is most clearly visible in the weakness and the suffering of Jesus. It was in the death of Jesus, which looked to everybody like a a failure. It looked to everybody like Jesus' ministry was on this trajectory of like, hey, maybe maybe he is the one that we're waiting for, and then he dies and everyone's like, oh, well, you know, I guess we were wrong. That's what it looked like to everybody. And yet, what we read in the New Testament is, is that the moment of Jesus' greatest weakness, as he's hanging on a cross after being beaten almost to death, as he's hanging naked and vulnerable in the most shameful way that was known to mankind at the time, as he hangs in that situation, that is where the power of God is displayed. Jesus suffered and died and rose again from the dead. And what he did by doing that is he put to public shame the powers of darkness and the evil one and demonstrated that they have no power over him. So it was through, not in spite of Jesus' suffering, it was through, not in spite of Jesus' weakness, that we have been delivered from our sin in the first place, that we have this restored relationship with God once again. So the weakness of Jesus, that is the center point of God's saving actions. And so we, to live a life of resiliency, we set our affections on Jesus who made himself weak. Which means that we are continually thinking about, okay, if, if that's God's plan of salvation, if that's God's plan for redemption, how does my weakness fit into that? How does my suffering fit into that? How is it that my life of weakness and suffering can be used by God? So we set our affections on Jesus who made himself weak. And then secondly, we come to Jesus and find rest from our striving. That's the invitation of Isaiah 40. The invitation of Isaiah 40 is, are you weary? Are you weak? Are you tired? Then the answer is hope in him. Trust in him. Come to him and you will renew your strength. But it's not only the invitation of Isaiah 40, this is the invitation of Jesus too. Jesus said something that sounds shockingly similar to the invitation of Isaiah 40. Jesus says this in the book of Matthew. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So Jesus says, are you weary? Are you burdened? Come to me and you will find rest from all of your striving to be enough, to do enough, you will find rest from that striving. And so we let Isaiah 40 
lead us forward to Jesus and see that Jesus is the one in whom we ultimately find that rest, that strength. And so we, we come to him. And so this is the, the two ways that we can cultivate a life of resiliency is we set our affections on Jesus who made himself weak and we come to Jesus and find rest from our striving. As we come to the communion table today, as we do each week, I think it's appropriate for us to come with this picture from Psalm 1 in our minds. The person being tranted, planted rather by streams of water, yielding its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. You don't have to know much about trees to know that a leaf draws the entirety of its nourishment from being connected to the branch. You pull that leaf off the tree and the leaf is going to die. So the leaf has a source of life outside of itself. And that's the picture that's being given to us of we are like the, the leaf that does not wither to the degree that we are connected to Jesus who is the vine. To the degree that we are connected to Jesus who is our source of life. And so as we come to the communion table, we get to remember and celebrate that God has made that life available to us. We get to come forward and receive the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. And as we partake of those elements, we are reminded that, that Jesus' broken body and shed blood was given so that we could be grafted in, so that we could be connected to the vine. And it's through the nourishment that he provides, it's through the ongoing presence and work of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Spirit to work in us, that is what enables us to live a life of resiliency. Even though outwardly, our lives may look like a complete mess. Outwardly, we may not have much strength, and yet we have the promise that if we are connected to Jesus, if we are connected to the vine, we can have this life of resiliency. And so we get to come forward and celebrate that uh, here today. I want to invite you to take a few moments of quiet confession and reflection as we come to the communion table today. Merciful God, we confess we have sinned against you in thought, in word, in deed, by the things that we have done as well as by the things that we have left undone. We confess, Lord, that we have not loved you with our whole hearts, mind, and strength, and we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, Lord, we pray that you would forgive what we have been, pray that you would help us amend what we are, and that you, Jesus, would direct what we shall be so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen.